Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Thank you very much for listening to Try Love, a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies we saw or people we met at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Try Love Podcast. You can find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org. Buy tickets and merch and showings and stuff there. Uh, my name is Jeff, Jason Daphnis. You can try. <laughs> Let's Hit start it. again. And you can find me at Nintendoofus. Uh, thank you, Jason. Um, I'm Cody Narvison and my bed might actually be full of fleas um but you can find me on twitter at cody underscore bh uh, i was just gonna say lonely people are all the same because jason took mine i'm harry you can find me at shiitake harry and we are very pleased to be joined by not one but two guests today returning <laughs> and jenny ackerson is back on the pod hello jenny hello yes that is my preferred title i'm happy to be back for one car watch thank you everyone uh, where can people find you, Jenny? Uh, I I think I currently tweet at Ackerson Jenny, and the letterbox is Jenny Ack, I'm pretty sure. Excellent. And our second guest is Igor. Uh, I don't think I got your last name, Igor, so maybe I can edit this in, but uh, would you please introduce yourself? Yeah. Hey, I'm Igor Ray, and um, I'm only visible through a bar window, and um, <laughs> can be found at it's teensy on twitter all right so peeking behind the curtain parting the kimono a little bit we told igor that we do that bit where we reference the movie and uh did not expect him to actually like knock it out of the park so really good one uh thank you so much for being on the show um so when you knew that we were going to be talking about these one car why movies you mentioned that you might want to talk about happy together which is of course the one we're discussing today can you tell me just really quickly why that one sticks out to you and why you wanted to talk about it on a podcast with people you sort of almost know? Yeah. Well, as far as the podcast goes, I think it, I just thought it would be a really interesting pandemic experience. Some people are making sourdough. I guess I'm appearing on a podcast um, and happy together uh, just really sticks out to me because of how full of longing it is. Um, I think particularly queer longing. And um, yeah, it was definitely interesting to watch this time around because I miss everyone I love. So I, I could really feel those parts of the movie. Um, yeah. So I'm excited to talk about it more. Right. That's something that I didn't think about during quarantine, COVID, et cetera, with, with respect to these movies being very much about longing and trying to stretch around the world to get to the people you love and not being able to do that for the last year and change. Uh, so, well, now I feel, now I feel worse. Um, today, of course, you've noticed, uh, Aaron Grossman is not on this podcast. I guess he, uh, is through with us completely severing all ties, um, with the podcast, but, uh, I'll take over in his stead as a uh, resident summarist. 
going to be bad. It's going to be going to be rough. But um, here we go. Today, we're talking about Wong Kar Wai's 1997 Happy Together, uh, directed, of course, by Wong, written and directed by Wong Kar Wai, starring Tony Leung Chiu Wai as Fai and Leslie Chung as Po Wing. Uh, not their full names, but that's how they're referenced in the movie. Figured I'd give them that. Um, this tells the story of Liu, sorry, Lai Yu Fai. This is already off to a terrible start. And Ho Po Wing, uh, lovers who take a trip to Argentina to see Iguazu Falls, a picturesque na national monument, uh, excuse me, depicted on a lampshade in their home. Uh, before they reach the falls, though, they break up during a roadside argument, and without enough money to get home, they begin living separate lives in Buenos Aires. Uh, a chance encounter puts them back in each other's orbit, and while both are curious to start again, neither is sure how. Okay, so before we start the, pro the podcast proper... Uh, blank out of 10 on that 10 being like, you don't need to watch the movie because you know so much about it. And zero being like, I didn't say anything. I, I put it at a fine, a fine summary out of 10. Uh, I echo fine summary out of 10. See, these are cop outs all around. Fine sounds about right. Uh, I'll jump on that train. Uh, God. Uh, usually this is where, uh, Aaron would toss back to me for my first thoughts, but here we go. Uh, I'm tossing to myself. I caught it. Nice catch. Uh, thank you so much. Um, I really like how, uh, happy together is like more emotionally intense, or at least it was for me, um, than a lot of other Wonka Y films we've seen. Sometimes there's a lot of breathing room in the other movies we've seen. Uh, but sometimes they've been like, I guess there's more of a, an extreme, more, more distance between the extremes of the other films we've seen, like. Sometimes they're more bombastic or violent or melodramatic or low key. This one is pretty consistently tense throughout for me. Um, it feels like being in a tragic relationship because we keep coming back to those same places with the same people playing the same roles. Um, and, you know, from the outset, we kind of know how it's going to work out or not. Uh, that that led to a little bit of tension between me and the movie. I wasn't exactly certain, uh, you know, what the stakes were. If I knew that things were going to pan out poorly already, not because I knew anything about the movie, but just by the general vibe that it's created, it sort of made good on that though, because it uses that space to, um, really dig into why, uh, Fi and Po Wing are drawn to each other and sort of what they see in each other, um, what they long for versus what the person really is that they're, you know, traveling literally halfway around the world, uh, to be with. Um, I guess there are like, there's a lot more to say about this movie, but I was, I was positive on it. I really, really enjoyed watching it, but it is just so much. It was, it was emotionally taxing in a way that the other ones I was able to sort of shrug in a lot of ways. Uh, very, very tense and intense movie. Um, Cody. Thank you, Jason. Um, yeah, as has been the case with the Wong Kar Wai movies we've been watching lately, I really enjoyed my time with happy together. Uh, coming off of Fallen Angels, this felt like a really good and appropriate stylistic continuation. You know, we've still got a lot of intimate handheld camera movement. We've still got our, our share of crooked angles. Uh, the biggest thing that hit me differently this time was that in the previous films of the series, most, if not all spaces were that we were in felt very inviting and even cozy, even though they maybe weren't meant to be always. Um, happy Together, it gave me occasional feelings of claustrophobia in a way that I haven't felt with these movies yet. And in my process of working through that, I've chalked it up to, you know, we, we get the incredible interspersed camera work of life sort of out of the city, whether it's on a long stretching highway or we're overlooking Iguazu Falls uh, and having those countered with scenes in La Yufai's apartment where he and uh, Ho Po Wing are 
butting heads at times very violently. It, it twists that sense of uh, that. Well, the, there's always that yearning that we keep coming back to. These characters have a sort of yearning for each other, right? Um, and then from the audience perspective, uh, you know, you know, instead of yearning to be where they are, instead of yearning to be in that space, I actually. You know, I felt myself yearning to be in this other space that they were gesturing at far away. And the more I think about it, the more I feel that Happy Together has the maybe the strongest framework for its mapping of geography and of its characters. You know, these characters who have their own orbits and consistently find themselves colliding with one another over time, uh, maybe against their better judgment and maybe despite how much they say they don't want to collide. Yeah, yet here they are. Uh, the only other thing I'll say right now is that Wong Kar Wai in... I think every one of his movies that we've talked about has a character who's like, hey, uh, want to go to a movie? Or, hey, I just went to a movie and it was fucking awesome. And it's like a bucket of salt in the wound uh, every time. Um, but regardless of that, uh, I don't know. I thought Happy Together ha- had some incredible quarantine movie energy, which uh, might be a tired thing to bring up almost uh, a year later. But also time doesn't really exist uh, anymore. Um, so anyways, uh, I'd love to hear what uh, the rest of y'all took from Happy Together as well. Harry? Yeah, um, I really like this movie. I found it very, very painful, maybe more so than most Wong Kar Wai's, but I appreciated it on a lot of different levels. It was really fascinating to me that it, in many ways, felt like almost an inverse Wong Kar Wai movie. Um, so many of his movies are about the distance between lovers and the sort of ephemerality of trying to bridge that distance and how impossible that can be or can feel, uh, whereas this feels like two people who are who are too intimately um, commingled um, and can't separate each other or themselves. Um, And it was extremely painful and extremely relatable to see this relationship in all of its stages. Um, And I I found both of them, um, Phi and Po Wing, like so relatable. So especially um, uh, Phi himself, like, it, so so many of his mannerisms and even the the dysfunctional nature of who he was 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 very relatable to me and uh um i thought that cody to speak to something you said um the way that this movie uses cities um and uses geography is, is similarly inverse um and alienating in a totally different way than we're used to from Wong Kar Wai. Um, and just on another level, um, it was just such a treat to see Buenos Aires um, portrayed this way, filmed this way. Um, it was so gorgeous. And uh, to, to see Wong Kar Wai shoot a city that wasn't Hong Kong or and wasn't um, in China is, is a rare treat as well. Um, and, and also like, I just thought that, that, um, that creating this space for these two characters in this queer relationship was so special to see from Wong Kar Wai. Um, it like, this movie starts with like a really hot, really like intense, uh, gay sex scene. And it's like a really meaningful sex scene that we learn a ton about both of these characters through. And that we, um, that, that characterization is maintained and consistent throughout the film. And like, that felt so meaningful to me to be able to see that and to see what he was doing with that right off the bat. Um, and I guess like, just finally, I like, this is maybe a weird reference, but I really love, um, the specific genre of like queer men as strangers in a strange land. Um, this reminded me a lot of Giovanni's room, um, even though it's very, very different from Giovanni's room, but, uh, so it was really amazing to see, um, queerness and national identity and, um, dissociation and um dislocation of 
self and of history um all wrapped up in this central metaphor of both being queer and being um an immigrant from hong kong and being sort of lost and that um dislocation um it it works so well for not knowing what's right for these people and like it it really complicates things in a way that makes this really compelling and messy i thought to the point where i didn't i didn't know what was right for these people and it made the sort of impossibility that that yearning impossibility of happiness um and and being happy together um really sing for me um in a way that that felt like beyond moralistic or beyond sort of um uh, be, beyond like a like an easy message, I I feel like there wasn't like a like a take right like this this movie was beyond judgment in a way that I really appreciated I guess so I really enjoyed my time with it even though I found it um, hard to watch at times. Yeah, what you're saying about dislocation, like near the end, it's text right where they open up to Hong Kong upside down after Fi starts to like ask what it's what it Those must be like shots, upside down man. on the oh my God. opposite side of the world. Anyway, uh, I'm I'm stepping all over Jenny's top thoughts. Yes, thank you. I right away at the top where Iger was saying um, that he was interested in talking about this movie because of its longing. I'm like, well, yeah, that is one part why, but this one presents such a different state of longing, and in no way is any of it idealized. Like, there's not that that much um, flashbacks or present day scenes of them really having a good time with each other. And there's this longing is entirely not optimistic. It, it, like there, there's no way or vision that any of our characters really have that like things will get better for them or that they think that being together or being apart is going to be a, a better outcome for any of them. So I think that's a, a really important distinction in this movie compared to um, Wong Kar Wai's other work just because there is so much of like a, a dreamy haze of um, idealizing the, the, the space between longing and here I, I believe as Cody said that they're just kind of crashing together and, and then it, they, they can't help but I guess be stuck together, clung together and I, I thought that was a really um, yeah a, a good inversion of Wong Kar Wai's previous work in comparison with this and yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about um, the, the use of place and geography because so much of this is interior in the apartment, a, a lot more domesticity and caretaking occurring um, because these two are in fact physically together as a part, as opposed to so many of these other movies that are the space between longing, the distance, the separation. So um, I it was a really, yeah really hard to watch at times and really beautiful to, to contrast and, and consider maybe why, um, why this story is told now, why, why he chose to take a different route, but I'm really excited to hear from Igor. Hey, yeah. So I'm kind of just taking in what all of you have said, because so much of it resonated with me. Um, for me, Actually, uh, when Cody was sharing about the sentiment of a, a bucket of salt in the wound at some of the references in this movie, I found myself um, having a very refreshing emotional experience while watching this. I think during the pandemic, I myself have chosen to 
avoid um, a lot of media that I, I think will make me really sad or make me feel really vulnerable. Um, I think, you know, people have people are on like all kinds of a spectrum of what they're choosing to consume right now or, or watch or read. And I'm choosing more of like the escapist route. So for me watching this and then feeling so immersed in this painful relationship and this displacement, it was um, really cathartic in a way and um, made me contend with some of the specific things that I think I miss. Um, Things like, you know, being up at 4 a.m. and kind of feeling terrible about your relationship with someone and chain smoking um, in this kind of like strange cityscape um, I mean, I, I haven't experienced the the national displacement in that way. And I feel like um, some of the choices, like, um, you know, just knowing that this movie came out shortly before the return of Hong Kong, and that's something that comes up a lot if you read about it. Um, but then the choice to, to set this in Argentina, um, with these gay characters who are so precarious. Um, I think one thing that I really appreciated was how much this movie is about work. Um, that really stood out to me and felt um, really painful and also kind of refreshing. I think right now I'm seeing a lot of queerness in media reflected um almost kind of like early 2000s rom-com stuff so very glossy (laughs) and um you know everyone's working at a magazine or something and the fact that uh these people were sex working and laboring like working in a slaughterhouse that felt really resonant um and to think about how your relationship to work affects your intimate life so intensely. I feel like you could really see that and feel that in the shots. Um, So I appreciated that. Wow. That's such a good point. And that, that links up with the materiality of, of other aspects of the relationship as well. Right. I mean, the, the queerness is not the only reason they're drawn to each other or the reason they're they're stuck with one another it's also the fact that their national identity is displaced right that there there are two chinese men in argentina and will have a really like clear problem relating to other people or having other people understand them um or and the fact that they that they can't find where they want to go either the falls or um, Hong Kong itself is not just a matter of the sort of um, ephemeral metaphorical searching for something you can't find. It's also painfully literal in the sense that their car breaks down or they don't have enough money to get back to Hong Kong or they're stealing each other's passports at one point, right? So like you're you're so right. Like there's there's this there's this great intersection between the emotional and the metaphorical and the actual physical material. Um, and the fact that both of those are, are intertwined and um, separate, but affecting one another. Um, we talked about that a little bit about the hand, which is a um, an episode that hasn't come out yet, but I'm really fascinated by the way that Wong Kar Wai can do that. And it's so interesting because that it is so belied by the fact that when you think about Wong Kar Wai, you think about, um, such an emotional, dreamy, um, like Jenny said, this this sort of like haze-like, um, like 
romance. And in fact, he's he's actually remarkably good at depicting um, the sort of like physicality of relationships and of being right um and i think that in a lot of ways this movie is really interestingly about how um materiality and um labor and the the labor of being a person can conflict with what we want and and how we achieve it um even as much as the sort of more existential uh relationship problems can yeah, before I ask what you mean by that, I want to point out like the is it just like Wong Kar Wai irony moment that uh Fai after they split in Buenos Aires um you know an und- indeterminate amount of time later uh Fai is then working at a tango club that services primarily if not exclusively Taiwanese visitors is that like that just feels like it's almost too intentional with respect to that like national and emotional displacement like he is trying to to build a new life in a new place because presumably they don't have enough money to get home uh and because you know later we find out that he's stolen money uh from his father's um friend to get to buenos aires with his lover like i I don't know just the fact that he can't get away from that like he's he's toying with it almost like he can't get um back to like an element of his, na- of his national identity, he can't get back to mainland China and he can't uh, separate himself completely from it. Is there like, I'm wondering if there's more to that specific or if it's like, I'm wondering if, if there's more of a reason that he works at uh, at a tango club that services Taiwanese visitors or if that's just completely coincidental and, you know, for a quick moment, like hit of irony. I guess to what I know of the specifics of it, there is a lot of um, Chinese, specifically Taiwanese, immigration to Buenos Aires. So I took it that Bai's character is just one of a number of people trying to corral any type of visitor. And he happens to be like, strangely, like a spokesperson for the, the Chinese experience as a tourist in Buenos Aires, which is interesting because he never got to experience that himself. So it's like, it is a cruel irony that he's just like trying to chauffeur people into like this tango club or to like some type of curated experience that he doesn't really know much about firsthand. And that he never really works for him. <laughs> <laughs> He's literally on the outside looking in, right? Um, the other thing I guess um, to, to bring up, we, we discussed very briefly that this movie came out sort of alongside the, the reopening of Hong Kong or the new independence of Hong Kong. Um, I recently watched another movie um, by um, Jia Zhang Kei, uh, Jia Wu, or Pick, The Pickpocket, um, which is also sort of dealing with that. And in that in that movie, that, that movie is dealing with the sort of like um, existential displacement that, that the Hong Kong people felt upon becoming independent. They kind of felt like they were given a boot and, and are in this new, uh, this new like liminal space between, um, identities where they, they are losing something and, and don't quite know how to gain something back or feel, um, like they, like they're at a disadvantage somehow. So it's really interesting that, um, that, uh, Chang is Taiwanese as opposed to from Hong Kong. Um, and, Taiwan is, I believe at this point was independent. Um, and they are able to have a home and national identity. Therefore, um, at the, at the end of the movie, uh, 
um, Lai says that, um, or excuse me, Phi says that um, Chang can travel so freely because he has a home to return to, in contrast to the, the two main characters that we follow. Um, that home is, is his parents, um, and it's sort of like his understanding of himself that gives him the, the um, ability to travel the way that he does. But it's also, um, in sort of classic Wong Kar Wai sense, it's like literal material in the sense that it is Taiwan, right? And um, these two characters... Um, stranded as they are in Argentina, don't have a place to return to. And that is representative of not only their sort of like their queerness um, and not only their sort of like lack of understanding of themselves, but it's also like a literal material idea that, that the Hong Kong that they knew is gone. And the Hong, there is no, um, there is no returning to it. So like, what does Hong Kong look like upside down? Right. Exactly. With, with new eyes, with sort of the experiences he's had, what does it look like? Um, Igor, I'm curious, you said that because the movie is sort of queerness and media being displayed, being portrayed as like, you know, either really lighthearted or really, you know, completely opposite end of the spectrum. It's not something that's, it's, it's like the norm almost. Is that, I guess, what about this movie makes that, uh, like the labor of it cathartic for you? Yeah, um, I think that it really ties into what Harry's been saying about the materiality of the relationship. Um, One thing that I think is interesting about Happy Together is that I know it's really kind of hailed as this um, emblematic movie for new queer cinema and I think queer uh, Asian men relationships in general. Um, And I know that it really influenced the way that Moonlight was shot. Uh, I think on YouTube, you can see people have these like shot by shot kind of beautiful um, collections of of both of the movies. Um, And at the same time, Wong Kar Wai was like ambivalent about his own choice to cast this queer relationship as the central relationship. I think he said things that like essentially insinuated that the queerness just was supposed to show that love can happen between anyone. Um, I think that things like those really saturated uh, moments, the ways that um, there's like a sequence in the middle with Fi's character, I think, on a boat and maybe someone will have a a more specific analysis of this but it is um the only moment kind of in the middle of the movie where we're not in the black and white we're not in the saturation and it's my eyes had to adjust and I had to tell myself like oh this is real life um and I feel like those kinds of um slippages those kinds of um aesthetic devices that I see most often applied to movies that are not about ordinary people. I think the fact of using those devices to amplify the reality of these really ordinary marginal people with really ordinary marginal jobs, um, like sugaring or working at a slaughterhouse, extremely unglamorous. uh, There's a cathartic queerness to that that to me like despite how 
despairing parts of this movie could be. Um, there, there's a hopefulness that's like, oh yeah, queerness is everywhere, you know, even in these presumably hypermasculine spaces. Um, and yeah, that I hope I answered your question. No, yeah, that that it is not in itself like idolizing or uh, perfecting an idea of queerness, right? I mean, not that I'm particularly the person to comment on this, but just like that is such an interesting aspect of of the movie to me because you're right it's not it's not a glamorous lifestyle that they're living any for any second in this movie and it's again like these ideas that we're talking about in the abstract and the concept are sort of made clear when um excuse me they're made text and very like right in front of you when near the end of the movie uh fi after he departs from um po wing and po wing is left on his own he doesn't have his uh he doesn't have his passport he can't go anywhere on his own um, Fi finds himself, you know, uh, hanging around in bathroom stalls and hooking up, uh, you know, with, with random men in the way that he had previously criticized Poe Wing for, like he had had this idealized version of their relationship. He had sort of, um, you know, again, he, he phantom threaded Poe Wing where he starts like, <laughs> like his, his perfect version of Poe Wing is the version that he can just sort of dote on and take care of. That's only touched on for a few seconds, but it's sort of colors that relationship and he finds himself, I guess where I'm going with that. He finds himself in the exact same position Poe Wing was in, you know, when he first came back into Fi's life. Um, and I think it's pretty crucial that it's not like a glamorous, perfect lifestyle, that it's not, uh, the way like that. It's not, um, romanticized way too much that it's just very realized in a lot of ways. Yeah, a lot of what uh, Igor said like really resonated with me, and I also think it connects uh, to something Jenny was saying about how important it is that this is so markedly a contrast from the general uh, Wong Kar Wai relationship movie. In that this is like Wong Kar Wai's like hyper realist movie. Um, that that realism worked for me on a lot of levels, but I didn't. I don't think I recognized it uh, like explicitly in connection to. Um, that cathartic queerness that you brought up, and that's so beautiful to to consider, um, and kind of makes this movie um, happier to me in a, in a way that I really appreciate. But um, I wanted to ask Jenny more about that, about how, as somebody who is um, so intimately familiar with with Wong Kar Wai, why, what do you think makes it so important that this is such a departure? Uh, like, what do you what do you think that that is? is driving at, I guess, in terms of either sort of his overarching ideas in filmography or just, um, his, his use of it for this movie specifically, why do you think it was so important that this be so, um, so I guess low in comparison to the, um, the dreamlike aspects of something like a chunking express or even a, uh, in the mood for love. I'm almost trying to consider this question with, uh, um, I, I know less about the, the choice about why to make a movie in Buenos Aires, but I, I think Igor can speak to that a little bit later. But um, it's almost like maybe Wong Kar Wai isn't able to see Hong Kong that clearly. It's going to be so embedded in his own personal identity that um, he's created a series of movies in the 90s and set in the 60s that are just have such a veneer on top of them about like an experience of people crossing paths, feeling a certain way in, in the same place that he grew up in. But uh, choosing to bring into a new setting, I think that also partially allowed him to consider just um, removing that element, right? So we, we've talked a bit about 
uh, like a, a loss of national identity or, or feeling removed or incapable of grappling um, with that. And I think that that added layer um, strips another part of a person away. In, in, and that's what makes this a, a much more like realist take. It's not it's not dreamy. Like no, no part of this is dreamy. There are instances, you know, we have we have yet to mention beloved tangoing and mm-hmm. uh, it's. And, and possibly, you know, just like gently washing somebody's back, you know, <laughs> but I, um, I, yeah, I guess that's kind of like how I'm interpreting why this contrast is, it, it makes sense and, and where it is, but I, that's just my initial read on it. I was just going to say, and, and as Igor said earlier, like even those moments of of dreaminess are like radically reframed within the scope of what uh, Wong Kar Wai is working on, right? Where um, that hypersaturation that was that was omnipresent in something like Chunking Express, it fades in and out with the sort of um, interior emotional spaces that we're navigating with these two characters in this movie, and um, it, it it comes off as as desperate or um clinging right like like so much of these people this codependence is so much about trying to either preserve something or change something or get away from something sometimes all simultaneously within that that saturation space and that saturation saturation space can be stripped away which really changes the way that we can consider it i think and i guess another scene i want to bring up that is uh, inherently dreamy out of this movie is when we first get introduced to Chang and he's just kind of closing his eyes, slowly washing dishes and like presumably hearing, well, first curiosity, but then hearing the voice of someone that like makes his heart beat or whatever analogy he makes there. And I think like that is also because it takes place in a work setting is really important. Like we don't really see any other characters in any other Wong Kar Wai movie doing any job. Like they're not like they're maybe they're in a workplace, but they're just hanging out. And here, this is like, they, they need to like exist. They need to work to live. They need to um, have some sort of means of um, like perpetuating themselves forward. And then, then it's when you get back into your home where you can explore some kind of dreaminess, or maybe you get to, flash into it with a phone call home and it, it sounds stressful or, um, you know, and then it, it, it does show like quite a disconnect of like maybe the ideal life is just in your, your studio apartment in Buenos Aires, but uh, your, your real life is unfortunately elsewhere. Yeah. It's like, it's not coincidental. I don't think that like monetary concerns are what drive them to be like landlocked in, in Buenos Aires that uh that there it's like the chief um friction point between them is that Poa or Poing is bad with money and he's uh like not good at managing like his day-to-day and holding down a, a steady job uh that's sort of like super textual it's it's not they don't call that out very often but it's heavily implied that he's just not uh super reliable I, I think I'm not exactly sure what to make of it, but I think that those moments of, it's kind of like you were saying, Jenny and Igor, uh, it's like those moments of real stress and tension build to those moments of sweetness. So I think that's why they feel stand out in a lot of ways. Like you have the tango scene, you have the backwashing scene, you have like when they're actually cuddling or enjoying each other's company. Uh, but it's like your baseline is you just 
sense of friction between these characters. Igor? Yeah, I think the word that came to mind when you, uh, Jason and Jenny were talking was transcendence. Uh, And I think a very kind of quiet transcendence appears in this movie with small gestures of big intimacy. Uh, Like the tango scene, I can't stop watching it the way that their bodies really fold into each other. And it feels like so perfect and so intimate, even though by the time you get to that, you have every reason to not want these people to be together. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, at the end of this movie, I'm really disturbed by Phi in a lot of ways for stealing Poeng's passport. I kind of can't get over that because that's such a, a terrible thing to do. And um, at the same time, those really beautiful, like deep, rich, emotional intimacies are um, so sweet and kind of like, I can't, I can't stop thinking about them. You're, you're absolutely right. And like, like we're all saying, they just enrich the movie in a way that like still even just before you've even recognized how sweet a moment can be, you remember that that's not what this movie is or is about kind of, uh, Harry, I want to let you go into another point, but then I have a question for you. So we'll see where that goes. Go for it. Oh, please. No, go ahead. Well, I wanted to call, call back to something you said in your top thoughts, which were, uh, the opening sex scene is obviously like a really like an intention grabbing way to start the movie. And it just starts at a hundred miles per hour. But you mentioned sort of like uh, what Wong Kar Wai does with that scene and what it, what it would like foretells, what it foreshadows for the rest of the movie. Um, Maybe it's only my lens. What, what did you pick up from that and where did it like, how did you see that seeded through the movie? Well, okay. Um, It might be a little bit embarrassing to talk about, but like, look, uh, Phi is, is the top, right? Like in this relationship. And like, that was, it was almost a twist in that scene is that, uh, because, uh, Po Wing was the more energetic of those two partners. Um, it seemed at first and, and, uh, he went down on Phi and, um, at one point he pinned him and, uh, in their sort of their wrestling, um, he was, I believe the more energetic, but when, when sort of push came to shove, um, Phi was, was the, the top between the two of them, that that totally, um, that totally lines up with what we see here, right? Like, like between the two of them, Phi is like, he is like this caretaker, um, the, the giver and the sort of, um, to, to speak to something Igor said, like there, there's a sort of irony to this, to this movie, right. Is that like, um, we think that, that, um, Phi is the responsible one, the one who is sort of like, um, down to earth and sort of trying to think about the future. Um, and in fact, like over the course of this movie, we under, we come to understand that he is, um, as reliant, if not more reliant on, Po Wing for establishing himself and for feeling the way about himself that he's able to feel that um, Po Wing is on him. There's sort of like the the literal material dependence um, is Po Wing on Phi, um, but in fact Phi craves that and needs it to the point where he will steal the passport in order to deprive Po Wing of the material circumstances that he'll be able to self determine with. Right? He okay. says like. 
essentially like you are unable, like I'm, if you can't find happiness with me, I'm going to make sure you can't find it period. Right. Like I'm going to literally deprive you of the ability to, to return home because in my mind, that's what you're doing to me. So th there's a really interesting dual meaning to home here, right? Where their homes are sort of each other. Their homes might be this other place. They maybe can't find their home, right? Like at the end of the movie, Phi goes to the, the falls, which is the destination that he's been searching for. And he realizes that what he was actually searching for was specifically to go there with Poe Wing and it's meaningless there on his own. Um, and so we, we see that, that these are two people who are sort of like, like horribly tragically um, codependent. But like I had, had said, um, it's also like, it's not judgmental um, in the way that you think it might be. Um, like that's, that's the sort of dual emotion that, that Igor spoke to that I'm also uh, sort of wrestling with right is this idea that like like it's such a beautiful relationship and I don't know what's right for these people right there there's some sense in which like I don't like they're certainly not right for each other like they're they're certainly never going to be happy together but there there's also a sense that like it might be impossible for them not to be <laughs> or like it might mm -hmm. be impossible for them to find happiness apart also that actually I'm so glad Harry or Cody put up his hand because. I wanted to talk to him next anyway. Go for it. Oh, wow. That's very kind of you, Jason. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sitting here with um, all the... Uh, everything that everybody's put forth, I think, in my mind, contributes to this this sort of idea that... you know, And Harry, you know, said as much uh, just now that the, the identity of a, a relationship as well as, like, the identity of an individual is much more complicated than than one gesture or or one scene. So I, I guess like to maybe go back to your question, Jason, what does it mean that the movie kind of kicks off this way? Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's significant that that scene gets undermined, you know, through various other gestures as we go throughout this movie, um, you know, gestures that are, you know, we get our dancing, we get our intimate scenes uh, of passion, and we also get uh, scenes of, of violence, of passports being stolen. Um, I, I and I I want to part of me wants to read all of this as like metatextual, um, uh, you know, as, as far as like Wong Kar Wai as a filmmaker is concerned, um, because we're talking about uh, inversions of identities comprising of things like work in ways that they they haven't been prior to now uh, in his filmography. Um, the fact that uh, one thing Chang brings up uh, that. Uh, listening, you know, the, the idea of listening versus seeing, you know, uh, we, we talk about the visuals in Wong Kar Wai's movies, the cinematography, the, the movement, the editing, um, the idea, uh, the, the, rather the fact that Chang um, introduces this new aspect and suggests that, you know, listening can perhaps be the, the more important thing is such a weird, like, Again, I'm probably incorrect for reading it so metatextual. Um, that seems like a weird thing for Wong Kar Wai to do in 1997. Um, but I mean, all of these things and and the fact that, you know, we get different types of, of movement. I going way back to that scene of um of Faye on on the water, uh, one of the few scenes where the saturation isn't really um being utilized. You know, water uh, as a sort of calibration for that character. Um any Guazu Falls uh as a sort of you know, destination, you know, a desired point for for him to reach. Um all of these feel like I guess I don't have anything concrete to offer up other than the fact that, you know, maybe this is just a portrait of individuals and relationships having different means of, of navigation and movement and, 
you know bottom lines uh then uh then we can maybe you know uh, say uh, through one gesture or through one scene um this is not the first uh i'll shut up soon i promise this is not the first wonka Wai episode where i brought up uh scenes from a marriage but uh i did just finish that and this uh, like very similar idea there you know these are different shades uh and um portraits of these people and uh intimacy and relationships and people are are very complicated um and take on many forms uh so yeah i don't know tough to to digest and watch for sure sometimes right it it all it all ties back to how like you and jenny both use the phrases uh that it's just kind of like people clashing against each other and i'm glad you brought up chang because i think he's one of the big like he's ostensibly the tertiary character right like like the only other constant or focused on main character um and i guess how do you square that cody but generally everybody um how do you square that relationship between fi and chang because po wing and chang never meet i don't think but between fi and chang like where how does that relationship feel to you does it is it just another one of those people clashing is it like this is the seed of something new are they showing each other something new about themselves or again is it just like here's two people who will never be together, who will never be happy or good together, um, just, you know, incidentally being part of the same space at the same time. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's a good point. And I, I like that way of viewing Chang's character because I, I love uh, visualizing movies because I'm a visual person and I love using the term orbit uh, because it is a very visual word. But um, the introduction of Chang's character feels like it's it's the movie suggest suggesting that you know these these two characters uh Faye and Poeing that we've been focusing on are painted as sort of inevitable uh orbits inevitable like trajectories that will over time clash collide with each other you know every so often and the introduction of Chang into that sort of formula feels like you know the movie suggesting that you know, uh, again relationships you know, can, you know, they're multifaceted and, you know, there might be like overlap with other people, with other orbits over time. And especially the last like 15, 20 minutes uh, of this movie really feel like, you know, these are, are three people that may, you know, it like the story may evolve and the three of these people, uh, you know, are sort of perhaps destined to to collide with with one another forever so I, I guess not offering up any any firm conclusions beyond that that just you know uh hey things can things can can evolve and and grow from here i think what i make of chang's introduction into the story which i didn't expect it at all because um the, the common long car wide plight of like well now here's a second story you know that that's not really mm-hmm. what, what it is with his introduction so um I, I guess i thought about it as what did they learn from each other it, i think it's like a shifting of um how to care for someone and how to be taken care of right because phi only knows how to care for someone un- under the most oppressive circumstances though some of it's nice like making eggs and then adding another raw egg to your cooked eggs. That was wild, but, and, and, and just kind of like caretaking in, in the nice ways, like um, giving someone um, like a bath, feeding them, but also oppressing them in your home and making sure that you can buy cigarettes for them so that they never leave and they never feel like they need to leave you like that. That is wild. But here we see Chang just simply care for someone by, asking them questions, paying attention to them, spending time, just listening to them and, and just existing and not asserting 
um, themselves or Chang doesn't assert himself on Phi at all. And I think that's like really lovely. And then it, it, it finally becomes a like, well, like I can be here for you. I care for you. I think about you, but I am going to continue my own life. I'm going to continue my exploration that I'm doing. And I think Chang rules. Like I, I wish I could have a little frame photo of Chang hanging out at that lighthouse at Ushiaya. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I agree with everything Jenny said. I, I just wanted to add too that like it's it's really interesting that um these characters, um Phi and, and Po Wing are are introduced simultaneously. We only understand them in relation to one another, right? Like everything we know about them is presented in contrast to one another. Like that is how we learn about these characters. They're they're inextricable from each other in so many ways to the point where they they feel like different aspects of the same character in so many ways. Um, which maybe it, it helps account for their their mutual resentments and love for one another is sort of a um there there's a there's a dual aspect that it's also their loves for themselves or their resentments for themselves in their lives. Um so introducing Chang throws all of that for a loop, right? Like it now we are seeing um Phi in a totally different context and light, and it makes aspects of his personality um very, very different, like radically different. Um and uh it it also like I t- taking that reading to its conclusion, Chang like it felt like an opportunity or like a like an alternate path that that um, Phi himself could have walked. That we see how different his life is because of his relationship, and it really like makes that relationship and how deep the inroads into who he is and what it reveals about him, it makes it more explicit and more clear, right? Like the fact that, that there's this, this other path, this other opportunity, um, at least. And so like, like when, when, um, Chang leaves and he can't follow, it's sort of like a, an understanding that, that he's coming to about himself, sort of like Jenny said, where, where it's like, um, like all of these things that you, that you thought were true of this relationship or true of you, um, which is interesting. Um, this is kind of a digression from, I think the, the really great comments that um, you all shared, but I think that the, it's kind of appropriate right now, but I watched uh, Buenos Aires um, Zero, I believe it's called. And it's the documentary. It's like an hour long um, about how this movie was made. Um, it's on Criterion. And um, the, it's it's less of a documentary and more of just a collection of the XX, excess footage. And Wong Kar Wai like, famously would shoot tons of excess footage um, and sh- sort of show up without a script um, and sort of let the direction find itself. And apparently it was just a really tedious process to make this movie because there were so many storylines um watching this documentary there were there was a uh like a woman character who was supposed to work at the restaurant where Phi was employed who had um jealous feelings about Po Wing and um Phi would have like attempted suicide and just um there was actually a conversation between Phi and Po Wing that I did appreciate seeing because it made me understand the stealing of the passport a little bit more explicitly. I think it would have been heavy handed to actually include in the movie. Um, But basically it's a conversation where 
Phi tells Poeing that, um, you know, I'm so afraid of you always leaving me and this is what I needed to do to be sure. Um, so I, I really appreciated that it actually was left open-ended. But with that said, yeah, I was just reflecting on watching this documentary, um, hearing all of your answers about Chang, because this, in my opinion, having seen that documentary was the um, like most, what's the word, like, like least radical, least sensationalized character to choose as an addition. Um, he really appears as like, this kind of triangular point rather than like a complete foil or a disruption or a, um, a complete opposite of any kind. And I just think that that's a really meaningful choice in a lot of ways. Igor, I'm really curious about those other abandoned storylines and maybe if you have any early thoughts about if, if their inclusion instead of Chang, for example, would have still felt cathartic or would it have felt too sensationalized and less grounded? Or I, I, yeah, I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah, I think that it would have felt too sensationalized to include um, these plot lines about the, I think the, you know, the person who works at the restaurant who really likes Phi, um, this older woman, she, it plays a huge part in helping him heal from his suicide attempt. And there was like another woman character included who um, sort of disrupted the explicit queerness in some ways. So I guess um, I appreciated the choice of Chang having seen these other like potential plot lines um, because going back to something I said earlier uh, I feel like those potential plot lines are maybe something I would see in queer media now, maybe in something like Euphoria or like, you know, like more, a more um, sensationalized version. And despite the fact that this movie is so emotionally effective, I think we're all talking about how it's so emotionally effective because it dwells on mundane horrors or like, or just getting by or, um, you know, the, the, ordinary though violent pain of a relationship um confined by material circumstances it is completely bizarre to imagine this movie with more plot lines not to say that there are too many already but just that it feels like it would lose a lot of its focus on uh fi and poe wing so that's that's really interesting to know that it was made like with the possibility for more than just this very focused narrative. Yeah. That's, that's something that I'm actually really interested in um, is that knowing what we, what we know now. So I'm, I'm super glad uh, that, that um, you watched that documentary. Um, It makes Chang feel much more important, right? Because like, like he, and I mean, obviously everything in the movie is intentional, but there's this idea that like, there were all of these plot lines and we chose Chang from among them, right? He, he was the one that wasn't cut. Um, and that sort of like emphasizes his importance and the importance of everything surrounding him. Uh, why do you think that is? Why do you think he was chosen from among all of these plot lines as opposed to, um, the, the women characters or the suicide attempt or anything like that? You know, I'm trying to answer that. I think it was the right choice, but I'm not sure why. Um, I think that 
I have like an image in my head that I'm trying to explain, which is he offers, yeah, this sort of triangular point that then I love that. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know what I mean, yeah. It, it, he doesn't feel like he's this um, inversion or subversion. He's existing on the same plane as this um, kind of itinerant dude who is mm-hmm. looking for his something and is kind of a weirdo. Like I, I really appreciate that choice. Especially yeah, he, because like, Oh, I'm sorry, Jason, go ahead. I was just going to add, I guess my thought to that, like he's not a disruptive force. He is like another path through which Phi realizes something about himself, you know, that he, that he cannot express a whole lot of how he feels that he uh, has a hard time putting his own feelings into words as is revealed at the end of the movie when in kind of like almost it's darkly comic when uh, Chang plays the tape at the edge of the world and he says, couldn't understand it. It just sounded like sobbing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And like ex- experientially for the, um, for the viewer. And, and we've talked a lot about how um, Wong Kar Wai's camera is so sympathetic and we see worlds through the eyes of these people. It, it's another, I love the triangular, um, image metaphor because like it that's a whole it's a whole nother dimension introduced right where like we learn so much more about both of these characters and we get to see how um how deeply sort of like intertwined and inextricable they were from each other when we get this outside perspective and when we get as as jenny pointed out like listening listening is so is so crucial here because it, it demonstrates the ways in which both of these characters weren't really listening and how it's like it's phi i mean like this is a this is a movie about phi coming to understand poe wing more than it is than we would think, right? Because like at the beginning of this movie, um, Phi is the sympathetic character and he's the character who feels like Poe Wing doesn't understand him or doesn't care about him enough or is bored with him. When in fact we see that like it's it's a lot more weirdly equitable than than we thought it was, um, which is interesting. And I, I'm really interested in how that um, correlates with uh, Jenny's point about the fact that, that Chang is a, a work character. And that's something that... Um, Igor, you brought up earlier is how important work and labor is here. So I'm I'm really interested in how um, how Chang's relationship to this movie um, is also the relationship of work to this movie. Uh, so so Jenny, maybe you can speak to that a little bit and how you read Chang in association with work in that way. Um, given what we've been talking about, what do you think that that is doing here? I guess what's helpful about Chang being a character introduced in a work setting is also the whole separation of, um, you know, the relationship is taking place at home in, in this one room apartment, but the, the the rest of life is occurring elsewhere. So the fact that Chang exists as some kind of like helpful, emotional, caring entity outside of the one other place that Phi is trying to find it, I think is really powerful, you know, like that, um, you know, uh, Po Wing and Phi ran away together to start over so that they could be alone together. But they're just like feeling lonely in the same kind of place. And then they, they break off in a way. But here, um, I think this, this serves to nurture the, the existence of, uh, having any type of feeling of, or care out, outside of this one other place that he was seeking it previously. I guess that's kind of the read I have. Yeah, that's great. I it also occurs to me um that Chang actually is 
he operates a couple different ways. And at first, he is a, a presence in the domestic space that we inhabit with Po Wing and Phi more than he's in the movie, right? Is that like we see Chang and he's just a coworker, and then he becomes a coworker that that Phi uses to make Po Wing jealous. Um, before they have any sort of relationship, there's that performative aspect to it. And when that happens, it happens over the phone, right? Is that Chang is listening to Phi on the phone and eventually sort of inserts himself out of this sort of morbid curiosity into his life and disrupts a little bit, but he does it uh, via listening, right? Like, like over the phone, he, he introduces himself very briefly to Poe uh, Wing and sort of um, precipitates their, their fall. So that's interesting. And then he becomes something else once Spy starts listening to him. So there's this sense in which like letting other people in and letting other perspectives in um, changes the way that you see yourself in the sort of triangular sense that, uh, that Igor alluded to um, so well. I think we say this in our discussion of The Hand, which is coming out in a couple of weeks after this episode comes out, <laughs> but it's that whole mortifying ordeal of being known thing. Like they can only know each know themselves when they're able to express uh, to, to another about themselves and to be seen and listened to and to listen to the other. Um, yeah, I guess that's just commentary on top. Uh, we have hit an hour. Does anybody else have lingering thoughts? I have some thoughts. Yes, I, I guess uh, we we didn't dive into this too much, but um, a, aside from our main settings of like a workplace, the home, it isn't until halfway through the movie that we experience like Buenos Aires, a city. You know, like maybe there's like the couple of shots in front of the tango nightclub, but otherwise, like all of a sudden, there's a couple cutscenes of like seeing a traffic circle, you know, seeing a, a football game occurring. And then uh, finally, Phi, like, roaming the, the extracurricular nightlife. And I, I think it's a really interesting choice that, that he wasn't really, not, neither of our characters were really existing in the, the greater Buenos Aires experience for so long. But we do get those early shots of the rushing water and the colors in there are just, like, so vivid and crisp and clear and it's just like this constant motion right something to be sucked into um some sort of like illusion almost and and then that in contrast with the scene that a couple of us have brought up of just five like lazing on a boat down a river and that's just like the most bleak it's not a black and white shot it's in plain color but everything is just kind of black and white and and still and uh I guess I'm just thinking about the uses of those other scenes. Like um, I really liked how Igor mentioned earlier that that was like, that's like one scene that occurs in reality. Everything else is in other hues, but this is, this is the real life. And um, yeah, I, I guess I'm, I'm really trying to pay attention and, and decipher what, what those other experiences look like. What, what is the purpose? What, what does it serve for us to see? these other establishing shots um, when so much of it is interior. Jenny, I'm so glad you brought up uh, that we don't really see Buenos Aires. That I thought was a really um, 
I'm trying to think of a more specific word than interesting, but I've already been called out about being Midwestern about interesting. Um, I'm going <laughs> to say interesting. Um, but to me, it also sort of heightened the realism of the movie specific to work and kind of moving. I'm sure we all know people who have like moved to New York and never see New York because they're working all the time. Um, and to like to move to another city and then be a working class person, I feel like it's really true that you're in the city, you're working so much, you're in the specific nooks and crannies of um, whatever industry sector you're in, but you never actually see the city because you can't afford to. That's a really good point. It's also it's interesting that um, it's we don't see Buenos Aires because Phi doesn't see Buenos Aires, but Poe Wing presumably does. We just don't follow him right until um, the second or third act, and then um, when we start to see Buenos Aires, it is still through Phi, and he goes to the public restrooms and he goes to the theater uh, to hook up with that guy. But as he sort of comes out of his shell and um, is hanging out with Chang and is having casual hookups like Po Wing did. Um, that's when we start to see the city. So, so it might be sort of symbolic of his, of his um, trying to understand their relationship from an outside perspective to sort of like get this, this more um, full understanding of himself. Um, because we don't. I mean, Po Wing was the was the guy who was going out right until, of course, um, he. Uh, gets back into a relationship with with Phi, in which case he never leaves the apartment anymore, right? So there's something interesting there as well in terms of um, control and what we can see. Um, not only the, the material control uh, that, that Igor is talking about with being working class, but also the control of relationships and how they restrict um, or how they can restrict. Like there's a literal material constriction happening where Phi is confining Po Wing to the apartment. Um, meanwhile, there's a there's a different kind of constricting happening where Po Wing is allowed to go out and go in, and Phi is on the outside looking in because he has to work, right? And so there's an interesting relationship to like understanding and the city. I think makes you wonder if they should have just stayed in Hong Kong. Okay, well. I'll give one last shot uh, at the doors open for thoughts before we lead into our final segment. Um, yeah, I had a question. Igor, you used the word transcendence um, earlier on, and I really liked that. And I'm I'm interested in, in trying to, to parse that out for both this relationship and for uh, the viewers or sort of like – like relationships generally, I I really liked also what you said about about gay catharsis here, and I, I'm wondering if um, if there's something transcendental about this relationship that we're supposed to take away and sort of understand, or or something about not only the relationship but the movie. Is there like is there something here that that we can come away feeling um, I don't know, comforted by, or at least, um, seen by that, that transcends just this relationship and becomes something generally true about relationships or about people. Um, because that's sort of what I took away or, or how I'm feeling from, from that point that you made. And I'm wondering how you feel about that. I'm so happy to hear that that was, that was what you took away from that. I was hoping um, that I wasn't just kind of casting this rosy glow over a movie about kind of a uniquely terrible relationship. But for me, in terms of like queer transcendence, I think that 
this movie is really special because like you said before, Harry, it doesn't romanticize um, this relationship. It doesn't sort of, um, it doesn't even sort of like completely dwell on, you know, their, uh, we, we get like one beautiful intimate scene between them at the beginning, but it's, I think sometimes also I noticed that, um, queer films will maybe sensationalize or focus on um, the sex scenes to sort of like in place of making a, a bigger statement about transcendence. And I think that this movie is really special because those moments occur when you see um, this lamp and think about this promise that they made to each other. And um, especially thinking about when this movie came out, um, it feels sometimes like there's no good reason to be queer. And that's the special thing is that, yes, there might be no good reason, but there's one or maybe many beautiful transcendent reasons that are sewn into your everyday life that no one else will understand, but you two, no one else is there with them in that kitchen when they're, you know, folding into each other so beautifully. Um, So I think that, in a very romantic kind of um, like ephemeral way, which I, I know is very typical of Wong Kar Wai, but I think Jenny said earlier feels very um, potent in this movie. Um, I'm left, I was left feeling optimistic in some ways, for sure. Damn, what a way to, we, we started this podcast mentioning how it's, in a lot of ways, not typical Wong Kar Wai. And still we found a way, <laughs> we found a way to tie it back and mention. Um, okay. Well, I think Harry and I have a little bit of introducing to do, uh, as long as we can count on our final segment. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> uh, Time to break open the pipes, Harry. I know we got, I know we got a new guest on, but. Uh, okay. Um, <clears throat> you need to warm up. I need to uh, compose myself. Uh, yes. All right. Let's do it. It's time for. <gasps> Cody's noties. Yowza. Um, thank you as, as always for the, the warm, earnest introduction. Um, well, my knowledge of happy together prior to watching it yesterday and discussing it with y'all right now, uh, was very minimal beyond basic cast and crew details. Uh, of course, uh, the one image of this movie that I had in my head beforehand was a, a composited scene of the two leads slow dancing, uh, as we find uh, Eventually, they were, in fact, dancing the tango. Uh, And while that might not be singularly representative of the movie itself, it's at the very least a distinct enough image that's frequently used to visually represent it. Uh, I mean, Letterboxd has two different dancing images as the the main picture and then the header graphic on the page for Happy Together. So I guess take that for what you will. Uh, And that got me thinking about the movies that are similarly well-known and perhaps more iconic because of their sequences of dancing and maybe even exclusively because they had a memorable dance scene. Um, so, so with my parents' permission, I went online and entered keywords, best movie dances, uh, and landed upon a list Vulture made back in November of 2018. Uh, what I've done is I went through their list of 50 movies and handpicked some of the entries on the list uh, as usual going off of my awareness of our collective tastes uh, as much as possible. And what I'll do is uh, I'll read the blurb 
that's describing each movie. Uh, once you think you know the title of the movie, Razor Little's Endcaster Hand, um, I'll be trying to keep a close eye on those, uh, at which point I'll stop reading, I'll call on you, and if you're correct in your movie guess, you'll get a point. If you're wrong, we'll keep going until someone can get it. Uh, each person will only get one guess per movie, so use that guess wisely, uh, I guess. Um, any questions before we jump in, or does that sound pretty clear? I'm clear on it. You're clear on it? Okay. Perfect. Um, well, uh, th- th- thank you for listening to Dance Love, a, uh, a dancing podcast where we talk about the dancing we saw in the movies we may have watched in various locations around the world. You can find Dance Love on Twitter in the same place as you typically find Try Love. Uh, this may or may not be helpful, but these handpicked movies will be in ascending order. So, for example, the first one we'll do here is movie number 50 on Vulture's List, and any other movie we cover will be in progressively higher order, but I'll call those out as we go. Um, with that, so number 50 on Vulture's List. I'm um, going to read the blurb here. Raise your hand once you think you know what it is. He might be a bear, but this marmalade enthusiast... Uh, I saw Jenny first and then Jason. So Jenny, uh, you have the floor first. What is the movie? Well, it's either Paddington or Paddington 2. Do I have to specify? Yes, you do. Okay. I would say, wait, what year was this list written? Uh, it was written in 2018. No, 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 no. That's the information I, that, that does yeah, not need yeah, to be provided. Yeah, yeah. We've, we've moved I, the I call bullshit. I literally, I literally, I literally already said up top. That he this already said it. But he doesn't have to say it again. You should have been listening, maybe. You know yeah, what? I, I think, can list it. I think Go Vulture ahead, is uh, going to list the first Paddington, though I think the second Paddington has better dancing. What is your What is your guess? <laughs> My guess is Paddington. Your guess is Paddington. That uh, is a guess. That is incorrect. I will throw the ball to Jason. Jason, catch. What is the movie uh, that is being Well, you know. <laughs> Paddington 2. Paddington Poo. Uh, Jason gets the gets the point Fuck there. Fuck yeah. Is this, uh, is this fun yet, Igor? <laughs> I'm having a great time. <laughs> And, uh, and that'll be the last time we hear from the peanut gallery about what is legal or illegal in in this noties bit. Uh, hey, thank you hey, very much. I'm just saying if I had asked that question, there's no way you would have given it to me. I absolutely I'm, would have. I'm asking for... All right, question two. The, the Salt Lord is at it again. Uh, number two here. This is 47 uh, on Vulture's list. The, the blurb reads uh, as follows. It's all about the lift. Go to the timestamp when Patrick Swayze hoists Jennifer Grey aloft. Um, Harry and Jason. It was, it was Harry, yeah. It was Harry first. Uh, okay. Oh, shit, but it could be Havana Nights, but I'm going to go with Dirty Dancing. Dirty Dancing is the guest. Uh, Dirty Dancing is indeed the movie. Uh, so Harry gets the point. Um, yeah, Swayze, Grey, good movie. Um, were they both in Havana Nights as well? Or am I thinking of, were, were one of them replaced? This goes beyond the extent of my knowledge, uh, regrettably. Um, But uh, if you're listening to this uh, episode right now, you could maybe look it up on your device and know it before we come up with the answer uh, while we're recording. Um, So with that in mind, (laughs) we're going to move along to uh, to number three. This is 39 on Vulture's list. It was the wise Michael Sembello who wants to find the danger zone as the space where the dancer becomes the dance. And in this scene... Natalie Portman provides compelling support. Uh, I saw Igor first. Well, I guess, Igor, you're the only hand, so the floor is yours. Uh, Black Swan. 
Black Swan is indeed the movie being described here. Um, the full transformation scene from Black Swan. Oh, oh, the American version of Perfect Blue. Uh, yes, that is correct. Uh, Perfect you, Blue. You can say that about any of Aronofsky's movies. <laughs> Also, yes. Um, moving along to number four, this is 33 on Vulture's best movie dance scene list. Um, the element of surprise could be a powerful thing. Oliver Cheatham's 1983 single, Get Down Saturday Night, comes out of nowhere in Alex Garland's sci-fi thriller. Uh, oh, my God. I think... Uh, on my screen, it was me. It was I think I saw Jason's a split second before Jenny's. Uh, sorry, Jenny. Jason, you have the floor. I was you. pulling for you, Jenny. <clears throat> it's Ex Machina. It is indeed. No, uh, I think Machina. it is. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, all right. So uh, uh, you can't see next... me, but I'm, I'm doing. I'm doing the dance. In, oh in man. My when when Oscar Isaac Isaac says I'm going to tear up the fucking dance floor, uh, floor, dude, check it out. That's the best line in cinema history. And then he just uh, busts it open. F- fun fact: so like each of these blurbs have little titles. Black Swan's title was "The Full Transformation." Um, for example, uh, Ex Machina's title was just in quotes: "I'm about to tear up the fucking dance floor, dude." Uh, so that <laughs> shows you Oscar Isaac's power. Um, and I'm looking forward to continuing, uh, continuing to see this. This is a sentence. Uh, Y'all's power uh, within the scope of this game. As we move along to number five, we've got number nineteen on Vulture's list. Uh, and I and I quote: "The most recent entry on this list is also the most recent U.S. release. So, in the interest of preserving the mystery, let's stick with the basics." Hai Mi, played by Jian Jong So, has wedged herself in a love triangle between sympathetic slacker Jong Su played by Yu Ah-in, and well-to-do dreamboat Ben, played by Stephen Yun. My voice cracked a little bit there. I'll say that again. Stephen Yun. Stephen Yun does uh, that to everybody, though. Uh, very true. Um, Harry. Burning? Burning, baby. Oh, man. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, if you have not seen Burning, uh, watch Burning. I believe that's, it's on Netflix. That's my favorite dance scene in, in like a movie, I think, maybe. With Dang. the elevator to the gallows, Miles Davis music. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, amazing indeed uh moving along to to number six uh we've got number 15 on vulture's list there's really only one dance move in the most infamous uh infamous infamous sequence from mary heron's grimly hilarious lampoon uh jason american psycho american psycho is the is the correct is the correct movie that's being discussed here uh lampoon of reaganite wall streeters uh was the full phrase um we've got three more here um uh yeah a quick look at the scoreboard uh jason uh has a quote-unquote commanding lead with i don't know why i said quote-unquote uh air quotes uh lead with three harry with two um igor has one and uh jenny has a valiant uh attempt uh and you know i have a screwdriver question answer let me just say uh look you're by whom though by whom justice for jenny <laughs> uh we'll get it trending hashtag justice for jenny uh stay tuned for for updates on that campaign uh we've got uh like i said three more here um this is number 12 uh on vulture's list just how seriously does writer director jared hess want us to take his titular hero milk connoisseur and friend to llama kind his 15 minutes in the spotlight first scan uh harry napoleon dynamite napoleon dynamite from the year 2004 
um, a movie I remember watching a lot in 2004 and liking at the time, but I was overloaded. Can't Heat is a great song. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Shout out to Jamiroquai. Uh, hopefully I said that correctly. Um, number. So we're moving along here. Number eight. Uh, we got this and one more afterwards. Uh, this one is number nine on Vulture's list. The, oh boy, the prestidigitation, there we go, of Quentin Tarantino is to render cool that which, uh, Harry followed by Jenny. Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. Hopefully this game will not cause pulp friction in our friendships, but, uh, Harry does indeed get the point there. He has taken sole commandership of the lead. Uh, Wait, I happen to know that Jenny likes a little pulp, so it's fine. Yep. If we're talking orange juice, yes. Some pulp? You're a some pulp gal? Much like Tony yeah. Soprano. I go for medium pulp with added calcium. Okay, okay. See, I, I, don't, I can't get behind the, the no pulp, folks. It's like, just, just drink water. I don't want fucking pulp. I don't want to taste it, bro. I just want the juice, all right? You don't taste the pulp. You feel it. Okay, well, I don't want to feel it. That's worse. That sounds gross. Open yourself to the world, Harry. This plot, I will not. this plot is thickening much like a pulpy beverage. Uh, but yes. with all that aside, yeah, you're welcome. Uh, our, our, final, our final one here, uh, the ninth and final entry from Vulture's best dance movie scene list. Uh, again, those are words. This is number one on that list. The pinnacle of Stanley Donan and Gene Kelly's creative partnership I saw Jason's hand and then Harry's. Uh, Jason, you have the floor. I'm not confident about this one, but I got to shoot my shot. Is it singing in the rain? Uh, judges, okay, uh, they will accept singing in the it rain. Uh, yeah. Singing um, has an apostrophe, though. With oh, yeah, you should have got him. I, I definitely would have said singing. Yeah, I, I, you, I, I do concede this. You would have said a lot of other things, too, I imagine. But uh, that concludes our guess what? Guess what, Cody? I'm still going to say those things in just a minute. Jason uh, uh, earns the point uh, for that one. Um, Jason and Harry uh, tied. Uh, they were they were both atop the leaderboard, so they're going to have to split a, uh, a gold chocolate coin, um, which is the hmm. figurative prize for this. Um, so hmm. thank you uh, for everybody uh, participating. Thank in you, that Cody. Game. Thank, yeah, that was dance love. By the way, keep on dancing to your own beat. You uh, you dancing fools. I was wondering if I, as a loser of dance love, could um, just interject real quickly with a notable dance scene that I just watched. Um, I was watching Band of Outsiders, the Jean-Luc Godard film, and yes. I, I just kind of want to, like, you know, I do miss going to bars as much as Drew, but now I miss the idea that I could be, like, drinking schnapps and doing that little dance in the middle of a bar. Um, yeah, so, oh, so I was kind of yeah. hoping that would make it on this list, and of course it did not. It it did not. Um, I I was looking for it because that one stuck out to me too. I think uh, again, time is made up. I feel like that's a movie I watched in quarantine. Um, and that scene is it fits the definition of the of dance love in that that scene for a lot it like defines the movie. That's like a big takeaway scene that people have from it. Uh, yeah, I was very bummed to not see it on the list. Um, shout out to Vulture, <laughs> y'all suck. Any other favorite dance sequences that we can think of that we want to bring up? I would be uh, super interested to hear. I just uh, I just watched another round, the Mass Mickelson movie. I said it right, Jason. And oh, uh, yeah. that that movie, um, spoilers, uh, it ends with a tremendous dance sequence from um, Mass Mickelson, who is a former professional ballerina. So if you're interested in seeing that, um, I recommend it. 
Jason, what's your favorite dance sequence? Oh, I should not have turned on my mic. I'm bad at this. I can. Jenny, what's uh, your favorite dance sequence? Uh, I just offered up one that I had just watched, but I'm I'm trying to remember. I remember uh, back in high school, Igor and I were really into the movie Harold and Maude, and there's a there's a little bit of dancing in that. Oh yeah. Yeah, every movie with a dance sequence I've ever seen just has immediately left my mind. I'm like, (laughs) that's what happens when you try to think of things. Yeah, I agree. I'm with you. That was probably bad to call you out on the spot. Well, I don't think I've seen dancing. Like, that's where my brain is going. It's like, I've never seen anyone dance. Who's dancing? What's going on? What even is dance? They're moving their feet and their bodies at the same time. What what the fuck? (laughs) Well, I think. Cody, Cody, do you have a favorite dance sequence? Sorry to interrupt you, Jason. Mm-mm. Uh, I, I guess, well, having the benefit of reading the whole list and having a lot of those bob around my, my psyche, I, I will just draw for, from some of those that evoked maybe the strongest reactions from me. Uh, there was the, uh, I forget which Beetlejuice scene it was, um, that, uh, but I think there are a few like musical musically laden sequences from that movie that are like really, really beautiful. Yeah. And it closes hilarious. with one, right? Yeah. Right. Nice. I couldn't remember if it was that one or the one that was like midway through the movie. Um, but uh, that got an honorable mention on the list, uh, an entry on the list. And this is the only other one I'll shout out. Um, but it is from Funny Face, uh, a movie that I did not love. But Audrey Hepburn has a really great um, dance sequence uh, in, in the middle of it, which uh, holds up. Um, very, very lovely dance sequence. One of probably my favorites. Um in the few seconds that I've been thinking about dance sequences. Um, so shout out to that specific scene of funny face. Bad news. I'm just looking through my letterbox, like diary. I'm coming up with nothing. I'm, I should not, I should relinquish both my crown of Cody's noties dance love and of this whole podcast. I, I feel free. Uh, yeah. I think that, I think that I'm, I'm fine to accept sole ownership of the crown. Thank you, Jason. Of course. Well, it's yours. You intro the next episode. Uh, until then, uh, thank you very much, Jenny and Igor for being on our show. Uh, can you drop one more time where people can find you? Surely I'm Jenny Ackerson available on the Twitter space as at Ackerson Jenny and my letterbox is all right at Jenny Ack. Yeah. And I'm Igor. Um, you can find me on Twitter. Sometimes I'm technically not going on social media because I'm supposed to be writing a book. So (laughs) if you want to bug me though, I'm still like lurking. So I'm I'm on Twitter as at it's teensy. You buried the lead on that. Can we mention anything about your book? Oh yeah. It's, I mean, it's definitely in the really early stages. I'm writing um, a collection of sci-fi stories. Wow. Okay. We'll keep an eye out. Does it have a title yet? Can you can you drop it on this podcast exclusively? I would love to at some point, but I'm actually <laughs> shopping for titles. So please give me your good titles. All right. Uh, if I know anybody who has good titles, I'll send them your way. I don't. Uh, but you've been listening to Trilove, our episode about Happy Together, the next in a Wong Kar Wai series that we've got going right now. Um, find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. Find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema and on Trilon.org. Uh, you can get tickets there. You can find all those other sorts of ways to support the Trilon. Um, they are opening in limited uh, seating space for in-person movies. Your choice. But be careful if you go, wear your mask, and don't be an asshole about it. 
Uh, my name is Jason Daphnis. You can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. Uh, thanks, as always, for listening. I've been Cody Narvison. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. Uh, and I have two more very quick questions for Igor, and if uh, they are embarrassing to him, then we can cut them. But first of all, we should shout out that you were on Brightwall Dark Room. Um, you wrote peak male performance on uh, Young Frankenstein for uh, their farce um, issue. It's a great, great piece, so you should definitely check that out if you're a movie fan, which you are, uh, because you're listening to this. Uh, and then also, I just wanted to ask, um, Igor, is um, your recent performance at Mizna going to be um, recorded anywhere? Can people check that out? Yeah, thank you so much for asking about that. Um, it was recorded, and I think just as of February 6th is no longer available, but I think Mizna, <laughs> yeah, but um, but Mizna, I think, might repurpose the footage and make it available at a later date, so I would check out their website, miznaorg um, It was a, a performance with um, Ifra Mansour, Moheb Suleiman, um, and the three Wadalas. So lots of cool stuff to look out for. Um, and then, yeah, thank you for mentioning my Brightwall Darkroom piece. I actually am going to have another piece with them up next Friday. Let's go! Nice. Yeah, yeah and it's for their music issue. So um, I think it's going to be a really great month. Um, and this piece is about the 1960 Bengali film, um, Mege Dakatara, also known as The Cloud Cap Star. We got our exclusive. We got our exclusive. So definitely follow him, it sounds like, because you're going to get a lot of great stuff, including a sci-fi book and Brightwall Dark Room issues. So, Wow, I'm really out here promising a lot. Thank you. <laughs> Harry, you didn't give us your, your out. Uh, it doesn't matter. Okay. Hey, uh, Y'all, I, uh, I don't know about this episode. Let's start over. No!